we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. You know, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to Animal Voices, Western Canada's only radio program dedicated to animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM CFRO, Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, unceded Coast Salish territories. Today is Friday, November 29th, 2019. I'm your host, Elise Jacobson, and I'm joined here in the studio today by my control room operator, Allison Cole. Oh, hello. Today's show is all about being a vegan musician, regular Regular listeners to the show will recall that I myself am a professional violinist and regular hosts uh, Allison and Sinead are also musicians. I'm pleased to have my colleague and friend Tony Castellic with me in the studio today. Tony is a classical violist or viola player and folk rock vocalist who fronts the local indie folk band Salt Thief along with his brother, fellow violist and singer John Castellic. We will have a couple of special live performances for you over the course of the next hour and Tony and I will be chatting about a special modification we've made to our instruments to make them more animal friendly. So, Tony, thank you so much for being here. It's great to have you. Great to be here. Thanks so very much. So, first of all, tell me a little bit about your vegan journey. How long have you been vegan and what inspired you to move in that direction? Well, I actually, I had not really given much thought to, um, to living life eating a vegetarian or a vegan diet for for much of my beginning adult years until about maybe four years ago or so my partner and I we were kind of well she works at the BCSBCA mm-hmm. so obviously we've had you know animal advocacy animal health on our radar for a long time and whenever the BCSBCA does an event or a corporate thing of some kind they always do vegan catering so it, like it was very much kind of in our orbit and on our radar yeah we made kind of a um a kind of spur of the moment choice to be vegetarian and just try it out and and because we you know typically we we wouldn't even eat meat at home which i know a lot of people do that's a, very much a stepping stone it seems on these this modern path to veganism yeah, is yeah, you sure. start by cutting out meat at your home and you don't you don't bring it into the house to cook and um then you maybe later on decide to also stop ordering it at restaurants as well for sure um which is sort of what we'd been doing and we decided kind of in the spur of the moment to go full vegetarian we did that for a couple weeks we were not being very um we didn't really have any long-term plans at that point Mm -hmm. um but uh we we did did end up going on a a trip to her folks family in Ontario, which this is Northern Ontario. They're like my folks from, from Southern Alberta. They're kind of more kind of conservative values and, and more, um, typical, uh, diet of, of, the 20th century and less uh, I, I don't know I don't want to put a time frame on, on <laughs> this, potatoes this. yeah that. very much so that would be a good way to describe yeah. it so, and we, we had made this decision that we were going to in an attempt to be kind of gracious guests we were going to not try and have them go out of their way to make ve- um, vegetarian dishes for us mm-hmm. so we did a couple of 
uh, weeks of vacation. And after that, we felt really gross. We oh, both yeah. put on some weight and we were just like, this is not good. Right. And that's where I, I really think the, um, the full kind of weight of and there was a, a little sound bit in your in the intro um that somebody was saying like you i don't know who was speaking but you have to make this ethical choice every time you eat a meal right and you know what are you going to choose today and, and we we were like well you know i i feel like every time we eat an animal product particularly if we eat meat it's a particularly red meat it, it really feels kind of heavy not only on your body and your physiology but also it's, it's kind of emotionally charged too and the more that I'd kind of experimented and played with not eating meat or animal products the more I started to realize that I had been kind of unconsciously kind of pressing down the gravity of, of eating another what used to be a living being every time I eat or you know when I eat so that finally kind of sunk home in a real way and so when we got back from Ontario um we very quickly made the decision to yeah we're going to go full on vegan and, wow. and try that out so now we just actually this uh this month we had our third year vegan anniversary oh so, nice wow that's yeah. great oh congrats happy vegan anniversary thank, yeah. you. <laughs> thank you how about you yeah, how right. long have you been vegan um for me it's been about nine years wow. yeah it's been a long been a long time um yeah it's just sort of you know settled in now very easy just totally. like kind of used to the rhythm of it you know yeah. i mean yeah you know how it is like i i could really relate to what you said about um you know going to when you're first transitioning and going to relatives houses and not being sure how to navigate that yeah. and handle it and yeah i definitely had situations like that at the beginning um but you know like you learn yeah kinda, you learn the ropes you learn like sort of how to help your family accommodate you and yeah. I think your family learns as well like kind of totally. what you need and yeah uh, after a while it's very easy totally yeah like we have these fears like that you are going to be kind of on the rope for you know if you go vegan and you're not used to that or you've never tried it like you might be at a physiological disadvantage right. or you know your cooking might be at a disadvantage but I think honestly the thing that is was hardest for us and probably hardest for most people is the cultural right. you, or perceived or otherwise the cultural disadvantage or, or kind of conundrum you throw yourself into particularly if you have family and close friends who don't know how to support you or you don't think maybe know how to support you right away Yeah, yeah because it definitely yeah it definitely didn't happen without some amount of elbow um, bumping and, and not necessarily outright uh, um conflict but certainly some friction with within yes. family members but i mean like like anything else in this world and especially with our family we just sit down and work it out and, yeah. and talk about it that's the only way you're gonna you're ever gonna find out whether or not you can do it which i guarantee you you can for sure yeah, absolutely. yeah. tony there's actually a great new book out by colleen patrick goudreau if you've heard of her called the joyful vegan just came out yeah. this month yeah, and we had we had her on the show for our world vegan day oh, no show kidding. november 1st so you might want to go back on and check out that podcast at animalvoices.org there's a plug but no I actually uh, honestly brought this up because this book is for people like you trying to navigate a vegan world in yeah, a non-vegan yeah. world yeah, absolutely. That's a very good recommendation. Thank you. Yeah. So speaking of, you mentioned you were born and raised in Alberta. That's right. Um, tell me, I know that you come from a very musical family. Yeah. Your brother, John, is also a close friend and colleague of mine, mm -hmm. plays in my string quartet, Black Dog String Quartet. Um, I know your other siblings play music, right? So tell me about that, like your um, musical background, how you chose the viola, you know, when you sure. started studying. and. Yeah, um, we, uh, my... My mom is the eldest of 10 kids, and I think all of them had 
at least like a robust like elementary to early high school musical education where they took instrumental lessons. I don't know, they may have taken some theory lessons or I'm not sure what was offered at that time. Certainly I took theory lessons and instrumental lessons. For those of you who don't, who don't know, theory, music theory is basically like music scholarship, um, yeah. learning your chords, learning your do, re, mis, that sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, my, my mom's side of the family had just a ton, a ton of, of musical talent in it. And I think after marriages, there probably like 10 to 12 uncles and aunts that I've had at one point or another that who were teaching teaching you know an inst- a classical instrument of, of 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 either cello or piano or violin wow so within my own family um it was b- very much the same we um we all took kind of classical music training from around the time we were seven or eight and right now of the six you know, kids in my family, three of us are professional string players. Wow. And either yeah. teach or perform or both. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So you started out on violin, though, am that's I right? right? Yeah, which yeah. is pretty typical for As viola players. As many of us do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so what, what made you want to pick up the viola? Well, anyone who's kind of had a similar childhood musical education, I'm sure will probably um, resonate with this. Like we were... Um, our mom had us entered in Kiwanis Music Festival competitions, and we'd go. And I, I was never a very um, talented performer when I was young. Um, I think I had, a, I basically, I was of the personality, of the demeanor, where I put a lot of obstacles in my own path. And oh. I was very nervous. <laughs> I had a lot of um, kind of, I had a lot of uh, stage um, fright, stage anxiety, uh, performance anxiety, I should say. Um, and I never did super well, but every one of the most resounding pieces of feedback I always got from those adjudications at those competitions was, you look uncomfortable, you look like you're, you're trying to navigate an instrument that's arguably too small for, for what you want to be doing with it. Huh, okay. um, and you've, you've got long arms and, and long fingers, which apparently is, is, I can attest, seems to be helpful in being able to navigate the viola without hurting yourself. Right. Um, so yeah, after after kind of near the end of high school, I basically started. Uh, I kind of got roped into doing the same um, viola spot um, that my brother, older brother John, had done in this one orchestra that we played in, where there were no violists. He had basically volunteered to take the hit for the violin squad, right. <laughs> learn some alto clef, learn how to play notes on the viola, yeah. and then by the time he went to university, he was playing viola full time, basically, right. and I once he left town because this was in Alberta and he left to Vancouver um, I basically filled in for the same position where now again that spot was vacant there was no violists so I, I learned uh, to read alto clef and to play the viola on a crappy old uh, rental instrument right. and then uh, yeah again by the time I even before I was done high school I was I was already doing transitioning to full-time viola cool so, yeah wow. still oh, so- yeah, I still play a little violin once in a while. Yeah, but. yeah, I know, right? I think I've played gigs with you where you were playing violin, too. Um, well, that's great. Yeah, obviously, it's good to be versatile, you know? Yes, like, we like, must be, vers- really. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, it's super cool. So, um, one thing that I wanted to talk about, definitely on this show, since we are animal advocacy-focused, obviously, um, you and I, and John, are among the first musicians in Canada to use chorus bowhair, that's spelled C-O-R-E. USS. Um, it's a high-tech synthetic alternative to horsehair for bowed string instruments. So let's chat about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, how long have you been using the chorus hair? 
I've been using it for about a year. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have too. We kind of switched yeah. around the same uh, around the same time. Um, what got you interested in switching to it? Well, in, in a very kind of simple, um, direct scenario, my brother had John had gotten just a bunch of this hair, and he had just given me a hank of it for for my birthday or something. And uh, I, you know, shortly after I got it put on my bow and just to try it out, but also because, well, obviously. There's the issue of of animal, of of ethics and how we treat animals and how we want to eliminate as many animal products from the from the as as much animal um, products from the things that we use and and, and our lifestyles as we can. But also, there's very um, very much kind of like this basic logic that seemed to like ring clear as a bell in my head that when you're talking about something such as bow hair, which it must be. A really good mm-hmm. because you have people who are you know performing at very high levels. They they must rely on on this very essential piece of our gear. Right. Um, it also has to be very uniform, which is not something that animal products are typically able to offer when they're not um, what's the word uh, processed in the way that we see food is is processed. So you know like um, bow hair. If you're not familiar, it's it's just horse hair. It's right. just you know, hair from the tail of a horse that I believe they're mostly um, farmed in. They're ranched mostly in Australia. Mm. Um, I think, uh, I want to say Mongolia and China. Oh, is that right? Like, okay, yeah, sorry. I'm, yeah, my there's information's there's a few different places. Yeah, Siberia sure. and that sort of thing. But. but yeah, you know, and you've probably noticed that, um, and I'm sure a lot of people who are string musicians have have seen the what happens when you are given a new hank of fresh horse hair on your bow that is not uniform right. or that is not um it is the quality has deteriorated for one reason or another i don't really know that's not my world i don't know how that happens but we've seen it happen many times where you get a new hank of hair and within a couple of months it starts to splinter and break away and it's not yes. really reliable anymore yeah yeah so um i guess the chorus hair is attractive in that way because it's sort of more reliable right, right. and it's it's it's, and, it's mass produced uh, basically yes. it's it's prefabricated which means that you can you can build it up to a specification and it should be the same every time yeah you know exactly. hank to hank and season to season as well that's another big thing is that as far as i understand the chorus hair doesn't um it doesn't expand and contract as much due to variance in like pressure and temperature right exactly yeah Yeah, that was kind of attractive to me too because i do a fair amount of touring in different places um so yeah sometimes when you're in different climates you know it definitely when you're working with an instrument that's made of natural materials Mm -hmm. you know violins and violas are made of wood and if you have horsehair on your bow and stuff yeah it is very affected by changes in temperature and humidity you know it can kind of affect what you're like you're playing in your performance there's nothing like rolling into and starting a set and then yeah. feeling like your breath doesn't go as far as you think it will and your bow's hair doesn't stick like it should and your right. instrument is slipping and sliding because the pegs are all changing. Yes, and yeah, we live exactly. in, in BC, if you want a tour, you basically have to go distance yes. because, you know, the you know, as opposed to if you were in California doing a 10-show you know, tour, you might not have to travel as you know half as many kilometers and right. probably not either over such a change in terrain and climate and all those things. So yeah. we're very much... You know, at the um, the 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 frontier of like how gritty can a musician who's touring be in terms of having to 
adjust to a situation that is very different from the one they were at in a different town 400 kilometers away the day before. Right, exactly. Yeah, so um, how have you found the chorus here like for playing different types of music? I know you do a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. You do classical, you have your band and all that. Right. So so what has that been like? You know, I have mixed feelings about it, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, I know it's still a fairly new technology, so it's definitely getting kind of its flight test in this generation of string players, I would say. Um, the things that I like about it are the biggest, most resounding thing, which is, um, you know, for comparison, I typically, with horsehair, because of the music that I play and the amount that I play, I would have to get my bow rehaired about two times a year. Mm-hmm. But this uh, chorus hair, it's lasted, like I said, basically 12 months, mm-hmm. and it hasn't deteriorated at all, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I've so, found the same, actually. Yeah, I haven't. So typically, anyone who plays a string instrument will know it's pretty normal for you to have hair. Bow hairs will fray and snap and yes. during a performance, and you just you pick them off your, at the end of your bow and you continue playing. Yeah. Um, but this chorus hair stuff hasn't hasn't splintered at all. Yeah, like not was, even one hair, which uh, is wild. Right. I was going to say you and John used to break a lot of hairs at your oh, salt yeah. leaf gigs, right? Because you guys are like basically fiddling on your violas. You're playing very hard, and um, yeah. but yeah, you haven't broken a hair yet with the chorus. No. It, yeah. No, I I haven't either. Actually, I've been using it for yeah, I think at least a year, and not not mm. a single hair is broken. So that's pretty. That's been pretty cool. Um, yeah, I did find. I don't know if you had the same experience i found that there was a little bit of an adjustment period i kind of had to learn how to work with it because it does behave a little differently from horsehair even when you're playing you know you kind of i found i have to um apply rosin more if any listeners are unaware rosin is basically like uh dried tree resin and we rub the dust of it on the bow hair to make it stick to the strings and get the sound out um, so it's like yeah it's an essential component but yeah I found that with the chorus hair I, I have to apply rosin a little more often because it's maybe a little bit right. slipperier um, but you know I kind of yeah once I sort of figured out like it took me a little bit once I sort of figured out uh the ideal sort of amount of rosin mm-hmm. that I had to put on, you know, not too little, but not too much. Then I found mm-hmm. I started to be more satisfied with the totally. the sound. What what my basic impression of the way that it behaves as you're playing is is that typically with horsehair, I think the actual profile at a microscopic level of the horsehairs is such that when you play the instrument with that horsehair, what you're feeling in the contact and how the bow moves and behaves is you're feeling kind of the um, the properties of the hair mm-hmm. a bit more than the properties of the rosin comparatively. I think with like the, the cuticle, hey, the sort of like uh, surface of the hair. Yes, like a little, yeah. correct. Yeah. Um, whereas with the chorus, I think the grip and the movement, the behavior that I feel is more that of the rosin yeah. than that of the actual the cuticle of the of the synthetic hairs. Right. So I mean to be fair, I think that um I mean if you if you try to play with a horse hair bow that has zero rosin on it, you're gonna get almost no sound out. That's correct, yeah. Which is why yeah, which is why the whole thing is confusing to me. I've sort of thought about this a lot. I have a feeling that maybe the way that rosin sticks on horse hair mm-hmm. is a little different because yes, of that definitely. cuticle. It might like get into the into the surface of the hair a totally. little bit more. So yeah, and yeah. if I had to speculate, it would be maybe similar to like natural versus synthetic fibers in clothing, where yeah. it's much easier to dye cotton than it is to dye polyester, right? Because you know cotton is a natural fiber. It's, it's more be, porous, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, so it could just be with the coarse bow hair that you're right. You need the right I find that it's much more um, 
particular and how much rosin is the ideal amount. Right, yeah. And then you have to basically, you have to keep it in the pocket, essentially. Mm -hmm. So rather than, I, you know, if I'm playing 20, 30 hours a week and I have horse hair, I would probably rosin two or three times during that period. Um, but now with the course, I find that I'm rosining much more frequently. Yeah, me too. Um, just to kind of keep it where it needs to be. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, interestingly too, I find that it the um, the hair itself doesn't change tension, coarse hair, when you go to a cold environment, which is something that I do pretty frequently at farmers markets. Yes. But the the character of the rosin changes a lot too when oh, you go into a okay. cold environment. This is one of the you were kind of saying it before that rosin is sort of somewhere between sounds like a like a kind of a weird hippie thing to take sap off a tree and rub right. it into your bow. See, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. Right? I know, but it's an ancient... And like it's I know, and all, all this time I was ancient. thinking, this is like 2019, like yeah. all, all the other <laughs> instruments have developed. Why hasn't yours? I don't know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> synthetic's but, the way to go. Like that's... I, I, I play a clarinet. Like we yeah. use all synthetic pads now. Mm. And, yeah. But you yeah. use a natural reed though, right? That's true. I use a wooden reed. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah but I've tried those plastic reeds. I'm just not too much into them mm-hmm. right totally. and, I, and i think that wood is better for the environment than those past totally yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's an interesting thing because it feels on one hand like a bit of kind of old time wistful technology a bit of like new age sorcery but it's also there's some very kind of weird properties that rosin has because it um behaves differently when you're accelerating the bow versus like moving faster versus when you're kind of breaking your bow to kind of stop and articulate it. I'm not sure how obvious this is when I explain it over the air, but um, when you, when you play violin, typically you keep the bow moving a lot of the time and that gives the violin its sustained sound, that quality that makes it different from say a piano, which you just, you hit the, the key and a, a hammer comes down and strikes the strings and then the sound basically erupts and then decays yeah, exactly. um, with violin or with flute or with your voice you know these are sustained sounding instruments where you are basically putting into a cycle of sound that perpetuates itself so when we are bowing with rosin what we need is for the rosin to kind of act as a lubricant on the string while we are sustaining but when we're articulating when we're starting the sound or uh, starting the sound or stopping the bow we actually need the rosin to behave as a frictive agent right which it has this this kind of this is maybe why we use tree sap and not something else because it would be a hard plight to try and find a, a substance that can do this yeah. and also rosin melts on the string as well so you have this inherent stickiness that is variable with the temperature of the room that you're playing the amount of time you've been playing right so you know it is very temp- it's it's very temperamental for those who don't know about it yeah. it could be it could be sort of a weird pseudoscience to try and get really deep into it and try yeah. to find out <laughs> what is the best set of circumstance you can hope to use totally. rosin to play your instrument oh totally hope. yeah i mean you know how it is string players we could talk about this for hours oh yeah um, yeah I don't <laughs> we, know how we only have is. an hour and, <laughs> and also you had mentioned uh we're we're on radio but i wanted to let people know as well that we're on facebook live right now mm. so you can watch 
watch this. Oh, Have a wave. The camera's <laughs> right here. If you want to do any demos, like visual demos, you know, you can do oh, it to the camera. Yeah. And people right. can totally Excellent. watch that. And you can share this after with all your thousands and thousands of fans, oh, especially cool. you, yeah. Lise. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. So uh, going back to the uh, just the concept of chorus hair, I mean, yeah, obviously there are sort of, you know, ups and downs to any type of hair that you're going to use on your bow. Mm -hmm. um, I found like just from an animal rights perspective, um, yeah, it's it's interesting that I've done a lot of research or tried to do a lot of research on, you know, sort of where the horse hair comes from for mm -hmm. bows in the past. And I find there's like not a lot of information out there on it. I All that I know is that horse hair that is used for bows, yeah, again, like you said, it's cut off their tails, which obviously you don't need to kill or harm a horse to cut their tail hair off but apparently the horse hair that's used is typically a byproduct of slaughterhouses like right. they'll you know slaughter horses for meat or for um glue you know to use their yeah. hooves for glue and stuff like and that anytime and anytime there's like large-scale ranching you know that it um the the bottom line of the company that is financing it is really the most important thing and yeah. even if we're kind of coming from the perspective of oh this is an animal product that doesn't harm the animal in it being taken from the animal assuming that's true which i think is a big jump of faith mm -hmm. um it doesn't mean like you said that there aren't and you just said that there's not a lot of information available my immediate right. reaction was like that's probably not that good yeah exactly exactly <laughs> it's a bit sketchy we don't know right. what's going on over uh, there right so yeah so i think it's always just better you know if we have a choice which like is why this is so exciting to me to have a product like this totally. chorus hair because up until very recently there really was no alternative that right. was suitable for professional players you know I had looked into it in the past, and I know that synthetic bow hairs have existed for a while, but, um, you know, just reading reviews of them online and stuff, mm -hmm. I think the reviews that I read, I remember, were quite mixed, but mostly pretty negative, especially right. from, you know, it's basically the consensus was it's not really suitable for professional classical right. players. Um, so, you know, I've even had, like, I've had people give me a hard time about it in the past you know like being sure. an animal rights activist who played the violin and you know obviously it was something that kind of like weighed on me even though it's just one strip of horse hair you know it's mm -hmm. like you don't want to be uh using that if you don't have to but for a long time i felt like i had no choice but when i heard about you know the chorus hair apparently is used by the toulouse chamber orchestra in france wow. and they yeah they take it on tour and they you Very know so cool. they yeah stuff like that um so yeah, that's that's super exciting. And yeah, I mean just like we've been talking about it's a bit of a learning curve, yeah. you know, trying to learn how to use it and totally. like the best. Well, this is why I've stuck with it for, you know, and we'll stick with it for the foreseeable future is that I want I think that this is something worth investing our professional like time experimenting with gear which is a big part of our lives especially yeah. the more you get into um, amplified music you have to spend time and resources experimenting with gear and trying to dial it in as, as best as you can and um, this is certainly a worthy hill upon which to die I think for animal <laughs> rights activists because you know if there is an alternative and it's just upon the cusp of being better than you know traditional horsehair then it's kind of we're in the front lines of being able to give the feedback to the industry and also to the public on how it is and how it works and how we can make it more mainstream and improve it, basically. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're just getting to a point now where 
you know, using animals for any purpose is just becoming less and less necessary. You know, technology totally. and everything, just in every area you can think of, is advancing to a point where we can just leave the animals alone and, right. you know, develop the alternatives that we need. And there are still a few areas where you know that has yet to come to fruition stuff like medicine and that kind totally. of thing and but, musical yeah. instruments because they're mm-hmm. they're just such a tradition right yes. I, I don't think yeah. yeah musicians are really um into you know taking from that tradition and that's why we play classical music in that and we were more thinking about how it sounded back then not so much with enhanced technology of right. instruments because right. there's not a lot of it but um, but there is some one yeah. thing I can think of is just the animal skins that are used on drums totally. but not always yeah not always so how do we shift our society and our and our community worldwide community of musicians to right. you know to shift to instruments where there's Hopefully, no animals being hurt. No, and and building on that, I was thinking about this, too, because we are in an industry that is very tradition-based, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's very much, yeah, classical music is very much rooted in, you know, hundreds of years of tradition. And I find that sometimes because of that, I think because of, like, just what it's all based on, there can be resistance to um, innovation or change in that way. You know, I've had um, sort of... Yeah, just the feedback sometimes or the the um, response, I guess, to the idea of like synthetic bow hair and stuff. Some right. people are just like, no, no, no. I mean, even like right. you, you and I, when we got this hair put on our bows, we had to look around for a luthier who would do it. Like a lot of people are not willing to work with it because right. it's different from uh, horse hair, and um, you know maybe they just just have an ideological right problem with it. So. And and the, the luthier that um, that John and I uh, went to, he gave up on his first attempt to put it on because yes. it um, it apparently is really different to work with. I can imagine the considerations considerations are totally different because on the one hand you have horse hair which could be of a non-regular um, uh, grade, basically, where you have certain hairs are weaker or stronger or thinner or thicker. And as we know, if you have like a big mishmash of different types, it's way worse than just having uniform hair because then you can apply the force on the bow in a in a way that doesn't kind of find the path of least resistance and start breaking your bow apart. Now, with, with the... Um, the synthetic hair, obviously, all of your bow hairs have the exact same gauge, mm-hmm. so that takes that guesswork out of it. But also, I think the it behaves differently with the combing, and I think it, its kind of frictive qualities as as raw hair with no rosin on it are different as well. So, I, as far as I understand, it was a real challenge for this person to actually put it on the first time. They they um, had to be coaxed into a second attempt, as far as I yes. know. Yes, yeah, that's that happened with me too. You're listening to Animal Voices here on 100.5 FM Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, BC, Canada, unceded Coast Salish territories. So, Tony, since we have you in the studio and you have your beautiful viola here today, I would really love to hear you play something. Would you play a song for us? Excellent. Yes, I would love to. Okay. Yeah, here. Let me get ready. Yeah. (laughs) What are you going to play for us today, Tony? I'm going to play a new song that I've been working on a lot in the last few weeks. Um, this song is uh, sort of a kind of a cut back to Salt Thief's original kind of folky roots. Cool. Um, we'll maybe play some recorded stuff very shortly that has a lot of more rock and roll influence and disco and kind of soul. But this this song is more it's more of a like a traditional 
kind of folk fiddle tune that I've been working on. And this is maybe the first time that I'm really performing it for a public audience. Nice. So, All right. So forgive me if there are little little hiccups. But no, no, I'll no. Give it my no. Best shot. Such a treat. Yeah. Tony Costellic on viola and vocals. 
with his original song. We need to have more of that on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Vegan musicians, this is your your cue and your and your call. Get send us an email at radioanimalvoices at gmail dot com if you want to show your vegan musicianship live on the air absolutely. at Co-op Radio. That was so nice. Yeah, super cool. Um, yeah. Okay. So. Tell us a little bit about about that song. So you just wrote that recently? Yeah, so that's the song. Um, It's not really titled yet, which is what I'm saying to kind of hide the fact that the title's a little bit lame, which right now is Sea Song. (laughs) It's a sea song. Oh, that's nice. Um, Yeah, it's it's, it's just kind of like pulling from a few stories from kind of my imagination, but also from like my family's like heritage and... and, uh, also just from life as a musician a little bit and that's typically what I try to do and I, I like to with my songwriting kind of play on words and moments within one verse to the next being kind of similar or kind of connected and then I try to spin it a different way that was maybe not originally seen or, or seeable so yeah. to try to try to play with the audience a little bit and use a little bit of irony to kind of be wry and be unpredictable that's that's kind of very much my style of songwriting absolutely super cool yeah well um let's see i would love to uh sort of showcase your full range um would you like to play some duets with me absolutely yeah okay um allison can we play a pra first and For while sure. we get ready and we'll be right back with uh something a little different And now for some Mozart.
very, very nice. Thanks so much, Tony. That was fun. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, that was um, that was three duets from uh, Mozart's twelve duets for violin and viola. Super fun to play that together. I'm so glad we got to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I heard that this is the first time you've played violin on the air in years uh, of the show. It's the first time I play violin on this show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of fun. I've been uh, doing the show for like four years, but yeah. <laughs> now people can believe like. you when you say that you're a classical violinist. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> proving it. We got um, video evidence. Exactly. Um, yeah. So um, once again, Tony and I both play using chorus bohair. That's a high tech vegan synthetic bohair that was just developed in the last few years. Um, I believe in. More Wales in Europe. Uh, it's used by some musicians in Europe, and we are two of the first musicians in Canada to use it, so it's kind of special. But um, yeah, as you can hear, pretty much just sounds like horse hair. No audible difference. Um, yeah, so going back to kind of being a vegan musician in Vancouver, mm-hmm. what do you like most about being vegan in Vancouver? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, the obvious answer is that you have a lot of access to really good restaurants and a lot of... Um, like grocery store brand foods that are vegan um, and and also really good produce as well. So that's all really good for um, um, for it. But also I think the um, maybe the biggest thing is for me is that the culture is really arrived here. Whereas if I go other places, not necessarily everywhere else, but certainly some places it all, always kind of feels like, or it might feel like I, I get a kind of a, a weird glance or uh, a sort of a, a misunderstanding when I tell people that I, when I thank people for a meal, for example, that I'm offered and, and have to decline it at the same time since I have these these dietary choices. Um, but yeah, so in Vancouver, obviously you never have to really deal with that because yeah. people are very, even, you know, like places that don't really have a vegan menu, maybe only have one or two vegan options. Typically they know how to like very quickly get the information for you in terms of what you can have and order or what they need to tell the cooks or what you should ask your server for next time so that they know right away how to how to help you get a nice vegan meal right exactly yeah yeah i appreciate that what about for you what's your favorite part of being a vegan in vancouver as opposed to somewhere else um i think yeah i think like you said we're really lucky here with uh sort of the number of restaurants that are vegan or vegan friendly it's just um we have so much good vegan food here i think vancouver especially in recent years has kind of been put on the map in that way like we're sort of becoming more internationally known for being a city with really excellent vegan food and it's just sort of everywhere in town you know anywhere that you go even in the suburbs there's some great restaurants um so yeah it's just it's just very easy you know i've always i grew up in a in a foodie family um and people are sometimes surprised when i say that but i i definitely feel that being a vegan and being a foodie are definitely not mutually exclusive like you totally. can absolutely be both and i consider myself yeah. to be both um i really like good food i love to eat so um yeah so that's good and mm-hmm. on top of that there's a great um you know sort of thriving animal activist community here you know totally. we even have animal voices we're the only radio show in western canada that's devoted to animal rights so what um, is that true that i thought true. that was just your pitch no, no, no that's, no, that's a, true that's yeah. incredible <laughs> we were yeah. the only animal rights radio show in Canada until very recently. That's true. Wow. That's true. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah. You, you're you four years ahead of the curve, at least. That's right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell us briefly about um, Salt Thief, your band. What is your sort of elevator pitch 
Yeah, yeah, we're um, two brothers who both play viola and sing at the same time and stomp on foot percussion, depending on the venue. We might also just have a drummer do that for us. But um, we we play kind of fiddle-styled um, rock and roll and folk music. It's normally pretty fast-paced, um, pretty en- high-energy kind of party music. Yeah. Um, we kind of got a bit of a... A bit of a cowboy vibe, but also a bit of like a, a, a pirate vibe as well. Right. Uh, which you probably heard both those things a little bit if you if you were tuned in for the the live song I just played a few minutes back. But yeah, um, we we um, you know we play in Vancouver, we play around BC. We we typically do a lot of venues that are more um, kind of down home venues like folk uh, played plenty of barn shows and yeah, farmers yeah. markets and that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Well, I would love to hear a song, Allison. Can we play? Um, who's going to help me? If I can't help me, who's going to help me? I'm a long ways down, who's going to help me? If you won't help me, who's going to help me? It's a long ways up, who's going to help me? I've been sitting in my room staring at the ceiling I've been sitting all alone, I need another point of view I've been sitting in my room, I need a change of scenery I've been sitting all alone, I wonder what I'm gonna do Who's gonna help me? 
You're listening to Animal Voices. I'm here in the studio with Tony Kostelik. That was Tony's band, Salt Thief, him and his brother John, rocking out on the violas. Um, so, Tony, you guys have a, a show coming up really soon at Tractor Grease. Hey, Tony. Yeah, yeah. So, we're playing tomorrow night, which is November 30th, at Tractor Grease Cafe. Uh, it's just south of Chilliwack. So, if you're if you're more in the Fraser Valley and you, you don't mind driving a little bit to go see a show, this is my our favorite new venue to play in these days. Um, it's a nice little tucked away spot. Um, they've got you know a, a liquor license. They typically pre-book um, or pre-sell tickets for their tables. So you, most of the crowd that's there shows up to see the music, which is great. And right. they've got an, an excellent kind of homegrown crowd. So yeah, it'll be 7 p.m. tomorrow at Tractor Grease Cafe in Chilliwack. Amazing. And then we've actually got a um, we've got a show in Vancouver on the 21st of December. It's our, our annual solstice show. This one's been kind of bundled into a, a birthday show for our good friend Ross Fairbairn, who sometimes plays bass for us, and we'll be playing bass that night as well. We'll have some new songs for that as well. Oh, that's good. at that's Atlanta Luz, just down the street from Co-op Radio. Excellent. Oh yeah, right. Well, um, sadly we are out of time, but Tony, thank you so much for joining us here. Yeah, on thank Animal you. Voices it's a pleasure. Today. Yeah, it's been amazing to it's have you. It's been really nice to meet you and yeah, have you in person. You. Yeah. So if anybody um, would like to check out more of Tony's music, check out the Salt Thief website, saltthief.com. Go see their shows. They're an excellent band. So much fun to see live. Um, yeah, amazing. Thank you so much, Tony. So you've been listening to Animal Voices here on 100.5 FM, Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, B.C., Canada, unceded Coast Salish territories. Join us next Friday, December 6th at noon. Next week's show will feature an interview with Monica Chen of the Factory Farming Awareness Coalition, along with a few other surprise guests. We here at Animal Voices want to connect with you online. Visit our website, animalvoices.org, where you can stream past shows and download them as podcasts. You can also see our show blog there with detailed links and subscribe to us on iTunes. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram at Animal Voices Vancouver and on Twitter at Animal Voices YVR. We are also currently looking for volunteers to help with producing and hosting shows, website maintenance, social media, and more. If you have any of these skills or a willingness to learn and you're passionate about animal advocacy, shoot us an email at radioanimalvoices at gmail.com. And now we'll leave you with a song. Here's Tony's band again, Salt Thief with Kids in the City. Stay tuned for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you for listening to Animal Voices today, and remember to be kind to the animals.